0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Potter Good gosh, nerdy. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. uh, Under center, give off to Greg Little. Little pulls away. Little is going to score. Carolina wins. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And they it's <laughs> with yes, a sir. 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's done! Carolina has won the game on a 42 yard field goal by freshman Cutterbart. In his end zone. The punt, very high. And Switzer will have room to return it. He fields it at the 40. Coming near side, Switzer at the 50. Switzer, 45, cuts back at the 40. 35, breaks a tackle at the 30. Still on his feet. No, he's not! Yes, he is! Ryan Switzer for six! He is doing his best Giovanni Bernard impression. Ryan Switzer again. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio! He at the 50! No, he's not! Yes, he is! Gio! He's gonna take it!
1: What's going on, guys? It's the Heel Tough blog podcast. Anthony Pagnotta, Josh Marlowe here with you on a Monday evening. Uh, We sit here after Carolina gets to 6-0 in the 2023 season, a spot that I don't think many of us thought they would be uh, at this juncture of the year. They have officially hit the halfway point of the regular season, which is hard to believe, uh, and they do so undefeated for just the sixth Time in program history. Of course, you know, the last time we've been talking about that year so much this year, but this team is steaming towards possibly being able to achieve something that even that year's team wasn't able to do. Uh, but we have to talk about the Tar Heels' huge win over Miami in Keenan Stadium. We have to talk about uh, the injuries that were reported beforehand, another injury that happened uh, in the pregame that uh, could extend uh, over the next couple of weeks. We got all that coming up here on this edition of the Heel Tough Log Podcast. Uh but and and you know Josh Marlowe here with me as always. Buddy, uh this this is one of those wins where if you look at it on the surface, some people, you know, there's a lot of things that you can nitpick and we're gonna get we're, we're gonna get into it and in break. But the fact that Carolina Picks up this victory over Miami. It's the second win all time in, uh, against, uh, in the scenario where they are 3-0 and playing a ranked opponent. Um, the only other time that they did that was 1939 against Penn. They brought that up uh, on game day on Saturday. Um, and it really is one of those stats that's truly hard to believe. You knew that Carolina had struggled in these types of games before, but – they, you know, that that was another thing that, you know, program history-wise went against this team going into their game the other night against Miami. They weren't great against top 25 opponents under Mac Brown going in. And yet all of that stuff, once again, Carolina standing up to all of that as they've done so many times this year and finding a way to get a huge victory over the Hurricanes in Chapel Hill.
2: Yeah, look, I, I'm the nitpicker of the two. I'm the one that will, will will look at every little thing because that's what, you know, sometimes someone has to do that role, and and I wear it with the badge of honor, um, and I'm proud to be the bad guy. Nitpick Marlowe. I'm not going to nitpick anything from there. You want to know why? I've never seen a 6-0 Tar Heel football team. Never. Uh, I was – One, the last time they were one and zero, so I could uh, I could assure you I wasn't sitting there. I mean, you could have,
1: but you you didn't know what was happening. Yeah,
2: so you know this is all this is all very foreign. This is all very new. This is all very exciting. This is also very possible. And I I think what this season and what last night really uh, emasculated to me was this is why you went and got Mac Brown. This is why when they hired him, you and I argued. Because I said, he's the one guy that can do it. And, you know, we we got ahead of schedule. We had to fall flat on our faces twice. We had to, you know, embarrass ourselves in 2021. And we had to lose four straight to end last year. But all that's built to this moment where Carolina is 6-0 and for the first time in 26 years. They've got the inside track to get back to the ACC title game. Um, and whether it's it's fair or not, I don't know if I think they're a college football playoff team or not, but when you talk about the contenders, they're one of the only, what, eight teams I think remaining unbeaten in college football. Yes. And when you're this deep into the year, you know, if you're unbeaten, you're a contender. And so, you know, we really stressed, or I really stressed all off season, you can't waste this quarterback. He's generational. Like Sam Howell was a program changing quarterback. Drake May is a generational type of quarterback. You saw that on display the other night. And uh, if, if you're a Tar Heel football fan, I don't know how you're giddy about where this team is right now.
1: How you're not, you're saying?
2: Yes, that's, that's yeah. exactly what I said.
1: You, no, you said how you're how you're giddy. Okay. But, um, no, I agree with you 100%. I mean, look, man. I, it's always possible that this team could fall apart. That, that is, I mean, it's always going to be on the table and there are going to be people that are going to worry about, but yeah, worry about it. But I mean, at this point, just soak this in because this team, this team is different. You could say whatever you want. They were having that conversation, you know, on game day and we've had that conversation here already a few times this year. And I've been asked it by so many people, is this year's team different? And you know, I, I really think if you didn't believe it before the other night, you should believe it. Well, because- I mean, I, I think it's, uh, to me, it's not even a question, though. Like, when you go back to
2: last year, and you and I got into a passionate argument where I think multiple F-bombs were dropped. Because you thought they were among the nation's elite. I said no, because they weren't beating bad football teams in a manner that good football teams, elite football teams do. Carolina's 6-0. and oh. Five of their six wins are by double digits. And their one non-double-digit win is by a team that their their Super Bowl is playing you. And, I mean, you, you can have God. five teams. And yeah, power five, I mean. I mean dude, like, you can have God on your team, and beating App State handily would be a hard task to do. And, and that's what this team hilarious. is doing. And, look, I know South Carolina isn't great. Uh, Lord knows Minnesota isn't great. Mm. Miami isn't great. But guess what? Carolina played a lot of not so great teams a year ago and they played down to their competition. That third quarter the other night where they outscored Miami 21 to nothing, you could argue that's the best 15 minutes of football this this team's played under Mac Brown since he came back. Because they smelled blood in the water, they knew mm-hmm. the first half was close because of, you know, the, the fact they could not co- they could not stop from committing penalties. Once they cleaned that up, once they cleaned to the protection of Drake May, it wasn't even close. Miami didn't belong on the field with them, and that's the difference. That's why no matter if this team wins a, a conference championship or not, no matter if this team makes the playoff or not, this team is different because they're doing what they're capable of
1: doing, which is beating the crap out of bad football teams. Well, and I think the thing that you got to love is that Carolina is is – they're doing all of this. And how many games do you look that they played so far and said, man, they, play, they played a complete game? One, the Syracuse, because I don't think the other night was a complete game. I thought there were moments where Carolina really struggled. There were things that I think they could have done better in that first half that would have allowed them to probably win more comfortably. But this team is not playing perfect football, and they're still winning. You mentioned it. They've won five power five games this year. They have won all of those by double digits. Yep. So, I mean, it's just – it's a completely different mindset. And, yeah, they they handed down an ass-kicking to Syracuse, who you could say at this point doesn't look like a great football team. But I'm going to tell you, I watched both games nearly fully. Clearly, I watched Carolina's game fully against Syracuse. And I, you know, did my best to keep an eye on the Florida State-Syracuse game the other day and watched that, you know, second half almost exclusively because the other games outside of – Bama and Arkansas in that time window were terrible. um, Carolina played better against them than Florida State did. I, I mean, I know they only allowed three points to them, but I really felt when I watched the game, Carolina played better defensively against them and probably played better offensively against them as well. So the fact that Carolina is even in that same area with Florida State, I think that shows you Kind of where things are at right now. Guys, this team is really, really fun to watch. But let's get into the actual game against Miami and let's break this down. You know, I think the thing when you talk about this game, if you just focus on one thing about this game, big picture-wise, what changed in this game? It was Carolina's adjustments at the halftime at halftime was really what flipped. This result, Carolina trailing 17 14 at halftime. They were not playing well. Let's be real honest here. They were not playing well at all. Um, you know, they they did not pass protect uh, at all in, in the first half at times. Now, I got to tell you, and I went back and looked at it on Pro Football Focus, uh, you know, when I was going through, and I, I always do that whenever I look at the stock report, uh, do the stock reports as well. Um, they are only credited with giving up one sack. And I think that's probably right. You have to give a lot of credit to Miami's defensive staff. Um, They did an outstanding job of scheming against Carolina because there were times where the blitzes that they were throwing, there was simply nothing Carolina could do. All six of the guys that were back there to pass, protect, five if they sent the running back out, they were all taken with a player. And it's simply just... It, 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 there, another guy came and there was nobody there to block him. Um, so they did a, you know, Miami did a great job of scheming in the first half. I thought Carolina adjusted in the second half. They ran the ball more, which they should have done that in the first half. I think it was very clear to everyone from the word go that Miami was just not able to stop Carolina's running game. And they did a good job of getting the ball out quicker. Uh, so that run heavy quick pass offense was really what allowed Carolina to sort of establish their offense in that second half, in that third quarter that you talked about, and run away from Miami, uh, outscoring them 21-0 in that quarter. That's the thing that I think, if anything, you should take away from this game.
2: It's a staff that's learned from its past failures where they didn't make the right adjustments. And, you know, I think this year there's just been a quiet confidence that when this team goes to the locker room, uh, they're going to make the adjustments they got to make on both sides of the ball to put themselves in a position, and that didn't happen uh, last year uh, down the stretch. And it, it really was something that plagued Mac Brown and some of the bigger games. Remember, Carolina could play tough with you know the Notre Dame's of the world, but in the second half they would just get worn down. That was all on the table the other night. It was on the table for Miami to to wear them down on both sides of the ball and make life hell for Drake May. And it didn't happen. And once Carolina cleaned up the pass protection uh, and they gave the ball to Hampton, you, you really saw that Miami just had no answer for them defensively. On the flip side, Carolina's defense—you you, know—we knew going in Van Dyke's a guy that when he's hot, he's hot. He can when he's when he's right, he's as good as any quarterback there is in the country. But this is a guy that's—you know—he he rides the, the you know the the roller coaster of momentum. And once things started to go sideways, you know, he goes sideways with it. And I thought Carolina getting pressure on him in the second half, uh, able to force some turnovers was also a big key. And I think that's why you got to be excited was because that game was in doubt going into halftime. Mm-hmm. Uh, you make a couple of minor adjustments in the 20 minutes you're given, and the game was over by the end of the third quarter. So uh, that's that's the telling of a good football team. Because that's what that's what teams that compete for conference championships, that's what they do. You know, they they make the the, the right adjustments when when they have to be made, and uh, they're, they're able to separate themselves. And that's what Carolina did in a big in a big way on Saturday night in Keenan Stadium.
1: Yeah, I would like to uh, make it known that there is actually one hero in this game that most people don't know about. So for the last. Few days. The reason I, we were not in Keenan on Saturday night was because I was I, I diagnosed with, uh, with with COVID, so um, I had I had that. We weren't able to go, and so um, I, since I was in my room and could not be around anybody, um, I had to message my mother and say, okay. I do not have the pants that I have worn in the first five games of the season on tonight because they were still upstairs from last week um, on on the drying rack. So I said, okay, I need to get these somehow, but I can't go upstairs and get them because I'm not supposed to leave the bedroom unless I got to use the bathroom or whatever. So I had to text her. She brings them down. And of course, everything changed after halftime. So the real MVP, if anybody needs to know, the real MVP of this game is my mother, Nancy Pagnata, who changed the momentum of this game. Just let that be known. That was what officially turned this game. Not Chip Lindsey at halftime, not the adjustments from Gene Shizik and his staff. Nancy Pagnata deserves all the credit.
2: So what you're saying is, is to a few weeks after coming on here and doing the podcast and a a tank top that'll be talked about forever. Yeah. Were, you were watching the game Saturday night uh, in the nude, pantsless? No, I
1: had I had pants on. It just wasn't the right pants. Oh,
2: well, that makes one of us then.
1: Okay. Well, there we go. There's a shocking revelation for you guys. Uh, apparently, I need to have pants on and you don't. Although, I would say, um, we are so we sit in a section we've sat in this section for years. I mean, I what it's got to be like five or six years now, whenever yeah. we've gone to games, you set in the section. And we have one of the nicest women that that is the security person that I guess event staff. I don't know. We've never I would really hope this this woman has got to be in her 60s or 70s. Um, there is no way I want to see this woman trying to break up a fight for her own good. Um, but, uh, she is very nice. She knows us at this point. Cause we've been coming there for so many years. I think she may have to physically remove you from the building if that happens. Well, so I, I, I would not suggest that I wear the pants that I've been wearing next week when we go and you decide to go pantsless when we go, let's not try that. Okay. But uh, not making any promises. Okay, All right. Well, the other thing that we have to talk about from the first half um, and what changed a little bit in the second half, but still was an overarching issue of the entire game were the penalties. Carolina, 14 penalties, 147 yards uh, for the game. That is the most in the last 25 years. And uh, that's, I mean, just insanity. Uh, Carolina has had some games in recent years where they have just been terrible when it's come to discipline. But this game uh, rivals some of the worst in program history. Um, Carolina simply could not uh, stop taking penalties. Now, part of it, look, I don't think the officiating was great the other night. I thought there was stuff that went uncalled, especially Cayman Rucker got held a lot, and I thought it went uncalled at times. Um, But... I, I. I do think a lot of it was warranted, and I thought it was one of the few issues that you take away from this game and and you say, okay, we have to correct this immediately and make sure this does not happen moving forward. I'm not super concerned because Carolina has been very disciplined throughout the entire year. Uh, They were, you know, one of, I think, above average in both categories, if I remember correctly, coming in um but i i still think this that's probably the thing that if you're trying to take something away and be concerned about it would be that
2: yeah i mean look 14s a high number 147 penalty yards usually will will lose you a game i thought the other night it was it was an issue of a carolina team that um was in a game that was on one end called very tightly and there was just a lot of energy and emotion that Carolina just really couldn't, you know, overcome from, from a physicality standpoint. And you see it like a lot of times in basketball, where you go into an environment, the officials call the game tight uh, because there's so much energy, emotion. It's a big game. They want to make sure everything stays within the lines. The thing that was the difference with Carolina's penalties was outside of, I think it was their first touchdown drive they gave up or the second one. They weren't overly detrimental, whereas like Miami's penalties, even though they weren't as as big or they weren't as many, they felt really really more important. Yeah. Um, and and thank God we you know we don't have coaches that were a trying to call timeouts, which is not allowed, and then b thinking he had got the timeout called, and then decided to berate his kids on national television while some twenty yards on the field. Um, I really love the class that Mario Cristobal is, is putting up and down that coaching staff. And so, uh look, it's not something that you want to be happy about, but you know, I think it was a team that was just in the moment and could really not get itself out of the moment from just an emotional and a physicality standpoint. You got to pay attention to this though in the next two games because penalties against of Virginia, penalties against of Georgia Tech could could have you in a tighter game than what it should be when you get to the fourth quarter.
1: Well, I mean, it's not only, those, not, not only those games. I mean, Georgia Tech, I think, has to be up there at this point because that's – anybody that's trying to discount that game, I, I don't know what to tell you. Watch the last two matchups that Caroline has played against them. Um, really, it's those last four games of the season against FBS opponents. If these – like, I'm going to tell you right now, if these issues crop up against the next top 25 opponent that you're likely going to play, I mean, Georgia Tech could get there. But I'm not really sure about that. It's going to take a lot. Um, if you do this against Duke, you're not winning that game. There's no way. You take 14 penalties against that team, you're not, you're not winning that game. Um, but I, I, I'm not concerned about this because, as I mentioned, and I looked it up here, uh, the Tar Heels coming into that game tied for 33rd in the country in penalties per game with five coming in, and penalty yards per game. They were at just 48, which was 54th in the country. So kind of middle of the pack uh, in terms of penalties actually taken up, you know, above average. Uh, really one of the better teams in the entire country. So I think they've been disciplined, more disciplined than in years past. But you just hope this isn't one of those games where things start to sort of fall off the rails. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the coaching staff knows that. Um, Mac Brown said in his press conference today, they are not happy with what they saw the other night. Um, and there is a lot to learn from. So I I think that's probably one of the main things that they're going to be harping on. Well, we talked about, you know, some of the negative stuff. Let's talk about the stuff, uh, that was positive and, and, and the stuff that I think just has us feeling great about this team. And the first thing was Tez Walker, man, this dude in his first career start, I mean, just went off. Six catches, 132 yards, three touchdowns on nine targets. Um, He is just the second receiver in program history with three receiving touchdowns in a game against a top 25 opponent. Hakeem Nix back in 2008 against Boston College is the only other player to do that. Um, And with three touchdowns in this game, keep in mind, did not have one in his first game last week against Syracuse. He is now tied for the team lead in touchdown receptions this year with all these great receivers that Carolina has in this wide receiving core. I mean, this kid, we knew that when Carolina got him on the field, he was going to be special. Um, There's a reason why he was an all-ACC preseason player. But I don't know if we envisioned in his first career start, he would have the type of game that he had on Saturday night. And I got to tell you, I couldn't be more happier for a kid than I am for him. For everything that he went through, for this to be not the way the story ends, because there's still a long way to go in this season, and it could have an even better ending. But for this to be one of the chapters, holy crap, this is an unbelievable story already being written.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, you you, you saw on Saturday – the football perspective as to why Carolina fought to get him on the field because he changes their whole entire offense. Uh, and, and he makes them um, almost impossible to guard and defend, if, if we're being completely honest. and mm-hmm. You know, you just saw that on full display the other night. His He's, he's so explosive uh, with the ball, the ability to get separation, the ability to be physical once he – you know, once he catches the ball, sorry, my allergies are uh all the way up my nose and then some. Uh <laughs> and so that's 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 why that's why Carolina from a football perspective fought to get him on the field. Cause they know with all the other pieces that this offense has, with the quarterback you have, you got a chance to do some really special things. And so uh, you know, it was a big middle finger to the NCAA the other night, is the way I looked at it. Was yep. because, you know, this kid was wrongfully held out of games and then he shows up on the biggest spot on the biggest stage so far this year. So kudos to him. Uh, I didn't care that he gave the, you know, the, the that because I thought he had earned the right to do such a thing. The, it's a that. at this point. Um, and, and so, um, you know, it's, it's been a lot
1: of fun the first two games watching him uh, grow and develop with Drake May. Well, and I mean, the thing that's just so impressive is how quickly that rapport was reestablished with Drake. Like, this was a guy that was not able to be with the first team offense after South Carolina, from what we know. Um, They knew that he wasn't going to be eligible, and they said, all right, that's it. And so he went to the scout team and you know, was still playing there. I mean, some people, there were some people that were saying he's not even in game shape yet. No, he's in game shape. Guys, he's he's still been practicing. It's not like they've sat him out and he hasn't been able to do anything. He's still been running with the scout team, but he just wasn't with Drake May. And I don't know if we knew that things were going to come together this quickly. And here's the thing. They needed him to come together this quickly because without him the other night, Carolina doesn't win this game. There's no way. I mean, his three receiving touchdowns were huge. That 56-yarder was a massive play in this game. It gives the Tar Heels the lead. Um, It really sort of established a deep passing game that before then wasn't there. And it set the stage for his other touchdown, which came on third and 20, a play where Carolina needed a big play, and he turns it into a touchdown. This kid is special, and the fact that, you know, he went through everything that he did. You almost wonder if that's fueling him even more to have an even bigger season than he could have been on on tap to have. So man, this the the ceiling is truly, I guess the roof for this kid this young man. um and you know I, I think it's only gonna get better as the season goes along. I don't know if he's gonna have multiple games with three touchdowns, but you're seeing already that him, Combined with Nate McCollum and J.J. Jones, that could really carry Carolina this year offensively. Another guy that could help carry Carolina offensively this year, and he did it the other night, was Amarian Hampton. Look, what Tez Walker did the other night was great. The best player on the field may have been Amari and Hampton. 24 carries, 197 yards, a touchdown, had two catches for 20 yards and a touchdown. It's the second time this season that he's had over 200 yards from scrimmage and two total touchdowns. Uh, He he has just been phenomenal when he's had running lanes so far this year. And you saw again the other night that he just has the ability to take over games. And every time that I watch him play, I think to myself, this dude looks exactly like what we saw from Javante Williams. He runs so powerfully. He mixes it well with a with a good burst of speed. I mean, there were just so many times he 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 carried this offense the other night down the field and led to the plays that eventually were scoring and were scores. And he should have had a third. He should have had a third on that late one. He unfortunately got caught. But I, I mean, this dude right now, the way that he is running behind an offensive line that at times has been inconsistent is just remarkable and Carolina they found their running back one and they've used them the way that they should in those games against App State and again the other night when he's hot keep the ball in his hands and let him go to work because he's your best offensive player
2: Yeah, uh, the other night he was the most physical football player on, on both sides of the ball for either team and uh, Miami didn't want to tackle him uh, he just found other dudes to go run over and bulldoze so You know, look, we, we, we know it's tempting to want to throw the ball and Carolina came out wanting to throw it, but the offense is at its best when it's running the ball with Hampton and, you know, it it felt like, and whenever they gave him the ball, something positive was going to happen. And so, you know, we, we've compared him to Javante Williams all along and you just see why, because he just runs through dudes left and right. Uh, He's such a physical runner. Um, he's a patient runner. You know, he, he, he waits for whatever hole it is he wants to attack to open up before he goes. And, you know, it's, it's it's a lot of fun watching him. And you got to credit this staff for realizing, look, you've got talented guys in that running back room. Mm-hmm. But there's a clear number one guy. And you need to give that guy the ball. And that's something that they haven't really – they've really struggled to do at times in the past couple years. That's not the case this year. They know who running back number one is and they're giving him the ball like he deserves to get
1: the ball. Well, and with the, with the offensive line healthy now, I, I just think the sky's the limit for this running game. When, well, you, you've seen the difference the last two weeks. And I, I think, you know, you, back-to-back weeks, you go over 200 yards rushing on the ground after two games where you couldn't even get to a hundred yards rushing. Um, that's, that's what you like to see from this offense. And, uh, again, I thought the offensive line the other night was was pretty good in run blocking. Um, they had you know their moments early, but again, as I mentioned, a lot of it wasn't on them um, in in terms of pass protection. But man, uh, yeah, I think with with Hampton right now, I mean the the he, here's the thing: this dude is already right near the top of the league in rushing yards. Um, and it's really based off of two games. I mean he was there there were two games where he was not I'm not, I'm not gonna say non-existent, but he he wasn't all conference caliber the way that he was in this one. Um, he, he was outstanding the other night. Carolina needs him to be moving forward. and I hope that you know the staff just continues to lean on him. Now let's talk real quick about Drake May's performance the other night, because it's kind of an interesting one. The first half, clearly not great. And they were talking a lot about it on the broadcast. Um, you know, he, he was just, what was it? I think nine for 20 at halftime for 105 yards, um, which isn't great. But look, what again, a lot of credit has to be given to Miami for what they were throwing at him. Um, and I thought that there was an adjustment in the second half And look, he only completed eight passes in the second half. He was 17 for 33 in this game. But you started to see once again why he is a truly special quarterback. That throw that he made on the 56 yard touchdown to Tez Walker is one of the best deep throws you will ever see. Just, I mean, an absolute, when we talk, when they use the word dot. That is the definition of that word right there. You could not have placed that ball any better. Um, I thought, you know, even though his completion percentage wasn't great, he threw four touchdowns in this game. I got to tell you, I still think this was a really good game that actually probably helps his Heisman campaign. You're muted. You're muted. There's no doubt when you look at
2: the stature of the game, um, top 25 matchup, Saturday night football, and you look around, you look around the country. Um, Caleb Williams, who's had a grip of the Heisman Trophy all year, it's up for grabs after the performance he had uh, as USC fellow to Notre Dame. Michael Penix Jr. probably took over the lead because he was just sensational mm-hmm. as Washington beat Oregon, and what's been the game of the year so far uh, this year in college football, but. The numbers are starting to to, to add up. The touchdown numbers are starting to be there. He's starting to put up the yards. And, yeah, he was barely 50% completion percentage the other night. He was still the best quarterback on the field. And he still overcame some issues uh, where his line failed him, where the coaching failed him to make the throws he had to make to give Carolina the best chance to win. And so, um, you you know, November's going to be the telltale sign for his Heisman candidacy. But you can't get to November until you get done with October. And I told you last week, this is a great month for him to put himself in position to be in that Heisman Trophy conversation as we get into the final month of the regular season. And last night was another step towards that direction.
1: All right, well, let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. And look, I, 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 even when I was laying this out, I knew I was going to forget to put this on here. The first thing that you have to bring up with the defensive side of the ball, and you, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but I think we got to bring it up again, is how important the turnovers were in this game. If Carolina doesn't create the turnovers in this game, they probably don't win it. I know the one on the... Fumbled center quarterback exchange for Miami didn't result in anything. Miles Murphy jumped on top of that one. But the other two were absolutely massive. You have the Javari Ritzy force fumble on the goal line that would have allowed Miami to tie the game in the first half earlier. If you just go off of what the first half you know looked like even after that, they could have been leading by two scores at the end of that uh, or at the end of the half. If they end up scoring there, instead, that ball gets punched out. Cedric Gray ends up scooping it up, and Carolina creates a huge turnover. And then the other one was the interception by Cedric Gray that puts Carolina in immediate position to score uh, and take a two possession lead. They eventually do. That came after, you know, of course, Tez Walker as the 56 yarder. Then Carolina uh, gives the ball back. To Miami afterwards, they fumble it, but they didn't. That that was the fumble on the uh, quarterback center exchange that went wrong, and they didn't capitalize on that. So Miami had a chance to take the momentum right back from Carolina, and Cedric Gray on the first play of that drive comes up with that massive interception uh, to set Carolina up in great position. Uh, Without those turnovers, it's like I said, I, I don't know what this game actually ends up looking like so you have to credit all of those guys for making huge plays and it's a second straight year remember last year's game against Miami second straight year where turnovers are the difference for Carolina against the Hurricanes
2: it's the difference maker for Gene Chizik's defense being its best version or the version that loses Carolina's Carolina games because he's going to give up yards he's going to let teams move the football but It's what you do in the red zone, and it's what you do if you force enough turnovers. It's what's going to make the difference. And the other night, Carolina did just enough of both. They let Miami move the ball, but when they needed to get a stop or get a turnover, they were able to get them. And, you you know, that was something not even the, the 15 defense did a whole lot of. They didn't turn teams over the way Carolina has been able to do so at times. This year, when you look at, you know, this game, you look at, you know, what they did at Pittsburgh, what they did against Minnesota, Um, and and so that's something you should be excited about, because we we will only ask this defense to be average, and it's been above average, and it's forced even more turnovers, which gives Carolina an even higher chance to go out there and win games on Saturdays, and so um, you know, if they gave up 31 points, I know Van Dyke had some success against this team through the air, we knew that was going to happen to a certain degree, but When Carolina needed to make plays defensively, they made them. And we haven't said that this consistently about Tar Heel football since Butch Davis was the head coach.
1: They are plus seven in turnover margin this year. That is amazing. Four four turnovers the other night for Miami, none for Carolina. So in these big games, that's the one thing Carolina has to be able to do. And they were able to do it uh, in this game against Miami the other night. You mentioned Van Dyke's success against the secondary, and that's – at this point, I mean, I guess that's just his thing against Carolina. He's going to put up a ton of yards. He did it last year. I mean, last year he had almost 500 yards, 496 in that game. Um, I, I mean, this dude, you could see that something is clearly there for him. He's got the chance to be a really good quarterback if he could ever figure out how to cut down on the turnovers. But um the one thing I will say is that, you know, the 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 secondary the other night, they had their worst performance I think probably of the entire year because it felt like even some of your stars back there were getting torn apart. Elijah huzzy worst game of the year. 7 receptions allowed on 11 targets, 99 yards and two touchdowns, uh, it was clearly the worst performance that he's had so far this year. And you're hoping uh, that that's something that, that you do not have to, uh, you don't have to see from him moving forward the rest of the year. Don Chapman lets up a huge play down the middle of the field that uh, allows uh, Miami to stick around in that fourth quarter. And Teon Holloway struggled once again. So, I mean, that's probably the one area that you look at Defensively, and you say, okay, you know that that's that's a little concerning. But I'll say this, you know, I think that's just kind of the nature of this defensive backroom and especially against uh, you know a team like Miami that's got a quarterback like Tyler Van Dyke that can really tear you apart uh, the way that he has done to the Tar Heels uh, the last couple of years. Now, uh, I, I'm not reading into it too much, but that that's that's probably the one thing you're looking at.
2: I mean, look, is he the best quarterback Carolina's played this year? No, that's Spencer Rattler. But what does he have that Rattler doesn't? An offensive line that can block more consistently uh consistently. Uh and also it was 35 to 17 in the middle of the third quarter. The only way that they could get back in the game at that point was to start throwing it. Um and south so like Carolina. So. Yeah, he was gonna he was gonna put up some yards. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing was you could tell early on they were targeting Tayon Holloway, just like Spencer Rattler did in the season opener. But once he kind of settled in, it wasn't as easy for him to get picked on. You know, Elijah Hussey didn't have his best game so far as a Tar Heel, but look at look at how much he's just individually improved this Tar Heel secondary. It's going to be hard for me to sit there and, and really complain about him having one off night. And so, oh yeah. Um, you know, look, it wasn't their best performance, but I think also it was one of those where the game was kind of in, in hand with you know a quarter and a half to go. You're going to let Van Dyke throw the ball around, pad his individual stats, make him feel better about himself for being a loser. Um, and, and so it's, I'm, you know, I, I'm not concerned because there have been other times this year. Where I thought Carolina had a chance to get burned. And you've seen teams come out trying to throw the ball on them, and it hasn't happened. So, and it's not like the quarterback this week scares me. Uh, Haynes King is going to be a problem in a couple of weeks because he's having a fantastic year for Georgia Tech. But, you know, unlike in years past, until they give me a reason to not be optimistic, I think the secondary group's going to hold its own out there.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at the level where I'm concerned just yet, uh, especially, you know, when you got a guy like Huzzy who, I thought before that uh, was probably an all ACC first teamer. Um, I, I mean, he was just having a fantastic year. And look, everybody's entitled to an off night. The one thing that I will say is that you do want to see what this team does the next time they're matched up with a receiving core like this. That was the difference. When you go back even to the South Carolina game, South Carolina was one dude that was killing you the whole night. Yeah. This game, it was multiple guys that were getting to you because Miami, you got to give them a lot of credit. Their staff has done a great job of piecing together that wide receiving core. So if Carolina faces a receiving core like that the rest of the year, watch out. The thing is, do they face a receiving core that good the rest of the year? Maybe Duke. I, I don't, I mean, I got to be honest, I haven't watched enough of Duke to say if there was a state court.
2: when they get to the ACC title game.
1: That That's that possible. Um, I mean, Georgia Tech, look, you can't discount Georgia Tech because apparently, I don't know what happened. Apparently, Georgia Tech found out that it's the 21st century and that they can actually bring their team into it because now all of a sudden their air jacket or whatever the hell they call it there now, all they do is throw the ball. So that'll be interesting. Uh, but I yeah, I, I think especially with Huzzy and Chapman, you're, you're probably – Saying, okay, let's you know let's take this one, put it behind us. You guys have been really good all year. I think you're gonna be fine with Holloway. I mean, I don't know, man. I I've been I've been kind of saying this the whole year. I think Armani Chapman right now is the better option for him. And I think Carolina's got to sit there and seriously watch the next couple of weeks. I mean, Holloway, they they've they've liked using him here. And I will give him I I will give him this. I thought in between the first game of the season and the other night, he's been pretty pretty solid. Um, but I do think that Chapman has been better than he has. But you know, clearly, I guess there's something in practice that still has the the staff feeling like Holloway should be in front of them. But I think they seriously need to watch and see if look if this is a guy that some of these bed some of the better offenses that you face moving forward are going to continue to go after then you got to go to the veteran. You got to use Armani Chapman. It's not to say look, we're not going to use Holloway at all, but you got to start finding ways to not get beat if he is on the field consistently if teams are going to keep going after him over and over again. Um but, you know, that that's the negative side of the defense. The positive side, as we mentioned, uh, you know, along with the turnovers was really just the play of the defensive stars, especially in that front seven. I thought the front seven for Carolina the other night, especially in the second half, was really, really good. Kamen Rucker is just a monster. This dude has unlocked whatever this staff was sort of keeping on the sidelines at points last year and the year before. This dude is a full-time starter. He's at a position that fits him a lot better at that jack spot. And my God, this dude has been unbelievable. Uh, I mean, the other night, he had six total tackles in the game, two and a half for a loss, two and a half sacks. Uh, He had uh, eight quarterback pressures, just a tremendous performance from him on all fronts. Um, and, And then you look at some of the other guys that were really good along that defensive front as well. Des Evans had a really good night despite a couple of penalties. Six pressures in this game for him. Uh, That was the most of the season for him. You had uh, Javari Ritzy played three snaps against Syracuse. Then comes in in this game, he has four quarterback pressures, uh, three total tackles. He was outstanding. And then uh, Miles Murphy, I thought he built off of what he did last week. Three total tackles, a tackle for loss. I thought he looked really good. So yeah, those guys play well. And then your two-star linebackers looked phenomenal. Cedric Gray, uh, I mean, 10 total tackles in this game. We told you about the fumble recovery, the interception that he had. Uh, I, I mean, all he does is own Miami at this point. 29 total tackles against them in the three games that he's played. Three interceptions, a forced fumble in last year's game, a fumble recovery uh, in this year's game. And then he also you uh, also have the performance from Power Eccles. I know he struggled a little bit in coverage, but I thought he had a couple of just thunderous hits in this game. Uh, so overall, you know the guys in that front seven for Carolina, their stars stepped up when they needed them to.
2: You know, there's a saying in sports that that big time players make big time plays in big time games. Uh, and that's what happened the other night. You needed Cayman Rucker to be that type of force up front that he's capable of being. Because when he does that, it makes guys like Sed Gray and Power Eccles their jobs become easier. And Sed Gray lives to kick Miami's ass. Uh, and that's what he did the other night. Uh, the physicality that, that, that those guys played with set the tone across the board for Carolina's defense. And so Um, I think the thing that we kind of get frustrated with as you go back to the South Carolina game is you don't see it consistently. And look, you're not going to dominate dudes the way you dominated South Carolina uh, to start the year because frankly, you're not going to play that many power five offensive lines that suck to that level that the Gamecocks offensive line sucks. But you have the ability to push people around and make life uh, a living hell for quarterbacks. And even though they didn't maybe make life hell for Van Dyke the other night, they impacted him enough to where he made the mistakes he's capable of making. And when he does that, he turns the ball over. And it was a big reason why Carolina took control of the game. I mean, you know, the third quarter was 21-0. So, yeah, the offense put up three touchdowns, but they also didn't give up any points. That's why they were able to take control of the game. It was a complete effort on both sides. And so um, you got a little what you saw the other night. Now you want to see them build off of that against a vulnerable Virginia offense that'll visit Chapel Hill this Saturday.
1: Yeah. You're hoping that that's the case. And I feel like, you know, especially, you know, your, your star players, you're hoping that those are the guys that are going to continue to step up when you need them to in these big games, but you're hoping that some of those other guys that we talked about, like miles Murphy, especially the interior guys, that defensive line, the last two weeks, those guys have been outstanding. Because we challenged them, we said, "Look, you've got to be better." Hey, Noah, you, we've got you've got to be better than uh, than you've been in in the first you know four games of the season. And I thought that once again, those guys were great the other night. You're hoping that carries over uh, move, moving forward, and you know I, I think it, it just it feels good to sit here and talk about the defense the same way we're talking about the offense. Because it's been a long, long time. Like each week we get to come on here and talk about this defense and talk about the good things that they're doing. Yeah, they let up 31 points the other night. And, you know, it it, it definitely hurts that points per game average that everybody loves to look at nationally. It'll hurt the yards per game. But I thought again the other night, I thought for the most part, the defense performed really, really well. They had a couple of lapses in coverage that sort of let Miami back into the game late and gave them an opportunity, or at least a feeling of hope. But man, this this defense for it to be where it is this quickly after what we saw last year—so much credit has to be given to the staff and to these players. Uh, so there you go, guys. That's your look at the game against Miami. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, you know talk a little bit more. Uh, about that, uh, you know, on the uh, on the website side of things, so make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out uh, for that. But uh, we do have a couple of closing notes that I want to get to before we get out of here. Uh, really, just on the injury front, as I mentioned before the game the other night, there was a, two, uh, two injury reports that came out. Uh, one about Ben Kiernan, the other about Kobe Pacer. The one with Kiernan, uh, he's done for the season. Um, This is a knee injury that he suffered on uh, the play against Syracuse where he picked up the first down. Uh, You absolutely hate that for him to get injured uh, on a play that should not have happened. That punch should not have been blocked, and it completely changed uh, everything for uh, Carolina in that game which for for the good. But it changed Ben Kiernan's season for the bad. He will now miss – the remainder of the season, and look, with it being five games into the year, the NCAA, especially with everything that Carolina hasn't been involved in uh, with the NCAA, there is no way they are going to give him an extra year of eligibility, so it likely means that this is the end of his career at Carolina. Um, Tom McGinnis took over the punting duties the other night. Uh, I thought he was really, really good for his first game. Punted six times, averaged 38.3 yards per punt, uh, dropped two inside the 20-yard line and had one of over 50 yards. So a really uh, well-rounded performance from him, and he will be carrying the load the rest of the season for Carolina. at punter, Kobe Paysor, meanwhile, is out indefinitely, but Mac Brown did say today that the hope is that he can return sometime late in the season. Now, uh, I don't know what exactly that means. There's no timetable. They haven't laid that one out. Um, and nor nor should they if they don't know for certain um, so it probably means that you know likely the bowl game maybe they could get him back for uh, the ACC championship game somewhere around there if Carolina does of course end up making it um, that's probably the hope that Carolina has at this point but who knows it could possibly be earlier uh, the injury Mac Brown announced it is a broken toe uh, for him suffered in practice last tuesday uh so again just hate to hear that especially for a guy that had been doing so much for carolina led the team in receiving touchdowns coming into the game the other night of course before tez tied him uh and uh, had you know a, a ton of other contributions for carolina this year 22 catches 282 yards uh which were both amongst the team lead uh so uh, really, a fantastic year for him uh, that he had going, but unfortunately, uh, it is going to be uh, shortened a little bit until he can get back. Travis Shaw, meanwhile, is day to day with an upper body injury that he suffered before the game. Michael Cole was the first one to report that uh, that it seemed like something was wrong. He was in a little bit of discomfort um, and uh, actually left the the field before uh, warmups was complete and did not return. Uh, there is, you know, we'll see. Uh, Day-to-day typically means that they're going to be looking at him as questionable for the game coming up this week uh, against Virginia. But, uh, again, the way Carolina has been performing on the interior, the defensive line, and the amount of bodies that they have down there, the good news is they should be able uh, to cover him if he is not able to play against the Cavaliers. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Hey, guys, make sure you're on the website, Blog. We got uh, a bunch of stuff up there about the game against Miami. The recap, we've already got the stock report up there for you guys. Uh, We will have uh, the injury report uh, that came out today for Mac Brown. We'll have that uh, going up for you guys to read a little bit more in depth uh, later this evening. And uh, also uh, a lot of stuff about uh, recruiting. Some guys really enjoyed their visit. Uh, A guy that is committed to the Tar Heels. Uh, who uh, I believe was there the other night uh, for a visit uh, is now a composite four star player. There will be articles going up about that. So make sure you guys are keeping an eye on the website for all of that stuff. And uh, we are going to have mid season grades guys. It's already that time of the year. It is the officially the midway point of the regular season. That's when we put out the mid season grades. So those will be coming out this week and uh, you will not want to miss those for the first time. in what feels like forever. Uh, those midseason grades are going to be pretty stellar across the board. It's going to be one that if you were a child, you'd want to bring it home to your parents. So make sure that you guys uh, keep an eye on the website for all of that. Uh, that also means that we will have a midweek podcast uh, where we will uh, give you guys uh, our mid-season awards. So make sure you guys are watching for that. And then, of course, we will have to turn around and preview the game against Virginia coming up as well. So all of that great stuff, ton of content this week uh, on the football side of things. And then the basketball side of things guys, live action was on Friday night uh, and it was a uh, spirited scrimmage between both sides. I thought really the best one that we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, And I wrote an article about that. Uh, I was covering that one uh, for us. Uh, So make sure you guys go back and check that out over on the website. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have you covered as Carolina gets closer and closer to the start of the season, uh, and it's one that you should be excited about, folks. Josh will have you covered on that front with all sorts of preview stuff that will be coming up here in the coming days. So, for now, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!